listening to The Adjacent Self, brought to you by the Conscious Leadership Academy at the University of San Diego. We're your hosts, Kendra and Libby, and we're going to help you explore how to step into the best version of you. Thanks for being here. All right. Good morning, Libby. Good morning, Kendra. How are you? I'm I'm not feeling the best. I think my allergies are acting up, but other than that, <laughs> I've been doing okay. <laughs> How are you? I'm really excited because this episode is going to air the day after the inauguration. So when people are listening, we're going to have a new president. We're going to have a vice president, a woman, a black woman. It's going to be such a great day. Absolutely. Well, I know we usually start our show off with one breath. um, And I think we did this once before on a different episode, but I'd like to continue this new tradition of starting with a word that we are coming into this space with. So if you want to go, go first, Libby, I invite you to share your word. Yeah, you know, I think my word today is grace. Kind of, I always say all things with grace. And I've been having to practice giving myself grace and uh, making mistakes and then, you know, recovering from them. So I think that's my word today is just all things with grace. Yes, I love that. What about um, you? What's your word? I think my word today is maintaining. That sounds great. Yeah. And Dr. Brown, we have Dr. Keisha Brown with us today. If you want to share a word, we would love to invite you to share one with us as well. Sure. Uh, The word that comes to mind is joy. And uh, we had a a conversation before where I talked about a scripture that always comes to mind, which is the joy of the Lord is my strength. Mm -hmm. Some of the journey we have from our past of reclaiming and, and rebuilding, there's something about joy and holding on to that, mm-hmm. to know that trouble doesn't last always, yes. you know, and uh, that's what comes to mind for me, joy. I love that. Yeah. Well, like I said, we have Dr. Keisha Brown with us today. Um, I'm really excited for the conversation that we're going to jump into, especially from our prep talk yesterday. I was so jazzed all day. Uh, Dr. Brown, she is a professor at the University of San Diego. She has her doctorate in education from Teachers College in New York. Uh, she is a mother. She's a daughter. She's a learner, a poet. And I think she's going to share some great things with us today. Uh, mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and jump in. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Thank you for all those titles and then some, <laughs> right? We all have them, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yes. Uh, so Dr. Brown, as a doctor of education, you've talked before in conversation I've had with you in the past and your blogs and your posts on your website about coming from a non-traditional background. And you've mentioned that you like to say that you come from empowering beginnings over humble beginnings. Can you talk about your journey and what you've learned being a part of traditional academia throughout that? Oh, throughout my journey. Well, thank you, Kendra. Yes, I definitely talk about um, being from empowering beginnings versus humble beginnings. They were, I mean, financially, uh, a dear friend of mine is a we talk about all the time as far as socioeconomic status, uh, we weren't impoverished, we were poor. 
right? And so <laughs> thinking about what does that mean? Uh, were we poor in spirit? No. Uh, was there ever a bankruptcy or some deficit in uh, how we loved one another? Absolutely not. Uh, were we put in impoverished situations to see how resourceful we were as an experiment? Absolutely, right? And so I think about what I was taught growing up uh, about how to value community, how to support one another in real time. If someone's hungry, there's never a question of if they will be hungry for the whole day. It's just a matter of let me get home from work and I'm cooking for the whole you know, the whole area, our, our neighbors and everyone else. It was never a situation where we did without, right? Mm -hmm. And so thinking about what that means as far as seeing the humanity of one another was very real for us. And I lived in a community that was very diverse compared to what I've seen. And that went for the, the white poor family up the block and the, the Mexican family across the street and all of us, uh, trying to make sense of how to be resourceful and take care of one another. Uh, the other thing that was incredibly empowering was seeing Black folk who looked like me and who did not look like me, but gave this air of we're going to be all right. Now, mind you, this is the backdrop of uh, I grew up in Inglewood mm -hmm. and the backdrop is growing up in late 90s, kept me whole. It was the love, love that kept me safe. Mm -hmm. It was the love that told me to go to college because my high school counselor sure didn't tell me to. <laughs> Wherever you are, Miss Herrick, here I am. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, but it, it's the typical story. You always yeah. hear it. It's, it's, you know, the the white. Uh, high school counselor who looks at the grades, who looks at the student and says, well, maybe you should think about vocational college or not even college at all. Mm -hmm. And for me, I didn't know anything about college because I'm a first generation college graduate. And I remember thinking to her, and this, this kind of tells you my mindset and where I come from. Okay, so you're telling me I can't go to college. So I'm going to show you. Yeah, I don't know anything about it, but I'm going. And what I did was I had the tenacity and the forethought to pay attention to those students who were considered college ready. Mm -hmm. I was like, OK, so you're applying to that. I'm going to apply to that college, too. And I don't my mom did a fantastic job because it wasn't anything that was pressed upon me like you. She told me once, like, you have to go to college. But what else? What goes along with that? Mm -hmm. What she taught me was how to figure it out. And I came from a community where. Whatever you need, you need to figure it out. We'll support you, but it's all you. Mm -hmm. We'll love you through it, but it's your job. And so it was that sort of encouragement that had me go to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And what was really uh, empowering about that experience was Cal Poly is a campus during that time of, what was it? 16,000 students, right? And of those 16,000, I'll say roughly three to 400 were Black students. Right? Wow. So that gives, exactly. So yeah. that gives you a sense of what the demographic looked like, but what you couldn't understand, again, talking about resilience and reclaiming, 
we created our own little HBCU experience on that campus. Uh, our seniors who came in and they scooped us first year students up, told us which classes to take. Uh, if we didn't show up to class, they showed up for us. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was amazing, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, we had the traditional experience, but we crafted it in a way where we created spaces of love, compassion, and of course, challenge. Like you got to graduate. I don't care. You take your SATs. I'll take the SATs too. Or you're taking that PSAT class. I'm going to take it too. I mean, <laughs> so at that point, I never had this way of thinking where I was limited. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we were able to address the hard issues and then know that we had people supporting us. Mm -hmm. Now, where it got hairy <laughs> is when I left those environments and I came into environments where they didn't have that way of being. Mm -hmm. uh, even if there were, say, a small number of uh, those students who identified as black or first generation or anything, we were so spread out that we weren't unable to connect. And that mm -hmm. connection is so important, a genuine connection, not just, OK, transactional. I'll, I'll, you're going to help me. I'm going to help you. And then we move on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But there's something about investing mentally, physically and spiritually. That spiritual connection is so important mm -hmm. um, and it's sustaining. And when you don't have that, in addition to dealing with white supremacist delusion and all the other forms of oppression that exist within academe, it tears at your soul. Mm -hmm. And of course, it, it affects you academically. Let's not even kid ourselves, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so how do we balance that? And the way that I did it was what I learned from my community. It's like, okay, so who can I find? <laughs> and I found this absolutely wonderful sister. And she wasn't Black, but I, I, I say she was Black adjacent. We veiled uh, those experiences uh, at the university. And we got through in our two years. And we were able to give back. And then once I went to Teachers College, Columbia University, that was a very, very humbling experience is what I'll call it. Uh, Dr. Daryl Wing Su, we know him um, for his work around microaggressions. I remember him doing a workshop and him saying, these are his words. So anybody coming from me from teacher's college, I didn't say it. <laughs> he, he mentioned that uh, teacher's college was uh, the microaggression capital. capital. <laughs> wow. really saying that. <laughs> And then there was a bit of, it's like, okay, so I, I can see the connection, right? Because it's always in, in certain spaces, uh, we see there's this prove your worth. Mm -hmm. And there are other institutions that say, we want you to be great. And we already know that. And so we want to pull that greatness out of you. That's mm -hmm. a very different stance. Yeah. And so having to go through that experience to earn my doctorate, and that's one of the reasons why I call myself Dr. Keisha versus Dr. Keisha Brown or whatever else, because I earned that doctorate. Mm -hmm. I have the stripes to prove it. Yeah. And as far as my name, that is a connection, my, my given name, that is a connection to my mother. First of all, my mother and father being a married couple in the early 70s actually getting along long enough to say, okay, we're going to name this kid Keisha. Yeah. 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 And those are things that sort of have framed me. And this is how I'm showing up now.
and thinking about the connection to what was given to me and what I earned mm -hmm. was something that I reclaimed mm -hmm. and I use with my students so they know who to call me and why they call me. Now, as far as my professional side, my colleagues, they have a little bit of a challenge with it, you know, because they're trying to make sense. First of all, they're trying to make sense of me anyway. Like she's from Inglewood. She doesn't, she speaks in vernacular every once in a while. And then she throws in something smart and it, okay. And then, and, and, and she looks the way she does. What do we do with her? Mm -hmm. You call me Dr. Keisha is what you do with her. Mm -hmm. And if you have a challenge with that, I can give you the example of how millions have called Dr. Phil, Dr. Phil, and he has no, no advanced degree. Yep. And so if you need to work through that, darling, you go ahead and you do that <laughs> on your own time. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I was going to ask you about kind of, you know, how you can, by using reclaiming your name and really kind of saying, you know, I'm Dr. Keisha over Dr. Brown and kind of, and you mentioned yesterday that you kind of use that as a tool also to see how others will treat you in the professional space. Mm -hmm. And I'm really curious, you know, how does this shape your relationships moving forward? And, you know, you mentioned yesterday, too, that you teach people how to treat you. So how does, you know, starting off in this kind of giving you that common ground, then teach people how to treat you moving forward? Right. Well, Libby, I think we all teach people how to treat us. Yeah. Right? Um, whether it's by what we say or what we do or what we don't say and what we don't do when we're in those moments where someone is challenging our value, uh, challenging. Kendra, our worthiness, that mm -hmm. absolutely gorgeous sweatshirt you had on yesterday. And so what I've done, and I'm using it as a tool now, is when I go into spaces, if I'm introducing myself, I will say, hi, I'm, I'm Keisha. It's nice to meet you. And I adopted that because when I lived in uh, New England, which is very much steeped in this whole uh, what is your pedigree? Who do you know? Uh, that sort of thing. That's part of their history, right? Mm -hmm. When they hear you say doctor, oh, and the accent and everything, like, oh, oh, okay, well, where, where were you trained? You tell them, and then all of a sudden, they see your value. No, I was valuable before I even opened my mouth. Yeah. And so when I walk in, and I introduce myself as Keisha, that's where the value is mm -hmm. because I've just announced myself and I told you who I am. And there's a whole history behind that. There's a history of black women, young black girls with that name. And I represent them when I say that. And then after I see how people treat me and it's very interesting, you can tell the people who are like, okay, so I know there's something different about her. Mm -hmm. There's something about her essence, right? Those are the conscious people. Other people who are looking for the superficial, et cetera, et cetera, they dismiss mm -hmm. me. And that's okay mm -hmm. because what happens later on, oh, well, have you met Dr. Brown? Well, who's Dr. Brown? Oh, it's like, okay, you're, you're Dr. Keisha Brown. Do all of those people. Yes, I'm that doctor and the Keisha and the Brown. Yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm that. Uh, and and having them and it's it's interesting to watch people mm. process mm -hmm. because when we think about it, we are, have been taught even folks of color, even those who have been oppressed, to not see and value us. Right now, it's even more so when your entire identity is built on 
historical negation, negating not even just the history of folks who are different from you, negating the entire existence. Can you imagine? That's like saying that that wall there doesn't exist. And then the realization as you quickly move forward to that wall and hit that wall with full capacity mm-hmm. that, oh my God, this, this, this wall is real. Well, guess mm-hmm. what? It was always real. And so that's where I go now. And I have this great, I mean, as you see, I laugh about it. And there's some people, well, you should laugh and, you know, you, you, you got to be hard. And look, my life was interesting enough. I don't need to sit here and be angry. Right. Because I was angry at myself for a good span of about 15 years after my, my sister died. Actually, longer than that. And so now I told you all, I've come into this, my Miss Sophia moment from The Color of Purple, where she went from being downcast, broken mm-hmm. by all that existed, all of the oppression. And then when she sat at that table and she had that moment where she just started laughing mm-hmm. and everyone turned to her like, what is going on? I'm in that space now. Yeah. You mentioning how you show up in spaces and people are, when they hear all of your titles, all of your names and the look they get brings up something I'm sure a lot of people go through, especially women of color or persons of color and black people is when you go to an interview after have talking to someone on the phone. And this is something I've experienced many times where on the phone, they're so excited to meet me. Like, we want to bring you in. We think you'll be a great fit for this role, whatever. And I come in and the look, like, you know the look. The look. The look of like, like there's a pause. There's like a, 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 they sit up straight or they lean back a little because they're trying to take in all of the things that you now are not what they built up in your head. And I, with now with LinkedIn, this might solve some of this. But not everyone's using LinkedIn. And so before LinkedIn, the look was very familiar in any role I came into of, oh. Right, right. The look. The look. Absolutely the look. Uh, since I've adopted, or, or actually not even adopted, I've gone back to um, sort of my original cadence. I, I don't get the look as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I spoke, when I, there's this wonderful book called uh, Shifting mm-hmm. that talks about the experiences of Black women in the workforce and the need to code switch. Right. So we go into our vernacular. Hey, girl, how you doing? I miss you. I love you. And then when you answer the phone, well, good morning. It's nice. to see I mean, and your total cadence completely changes mm-hmm. because we have been carefully taught that what is acceptable in the workplace, what is considered professional, is to sound like anything except ourselves. Particularly if you can sound as close to whiteness as possible, Mm -hmm. then you are accepted. Mm -hmm. Right. Have you ever had an experience, Kendra, once you've had, they're sitting there and they're processing, and then they decide they go into what they think is vernacular, and they're like, yes, you go, girl. Like, no, you no, darling, don't do that. You know, you can just be yourself because I'm trying to be myself right now. We don't have right. to do this. 
right, to show that they're, you know, they're connected, woke or whatever you want to call it. Can you just be? I love how you said that about can you just be? Because really, I think right now people are just trying to be able to show up as themselves. And I know we've talked about this. And so in order for me to show up in an interview or as a consultant, as a coach, as myself, I want you to be able to do the same. But we're just, I think people are just so uncomfortable and, and sometimes so unfamiliar with who they might be and in that identity space that it's also harder. This is just something I'm processing out loud. <laughs> no, I, I love that, Kendra, because one of the things I love about your podcast with you and Libby is you're comfortable in your skin and that helps your guests to come in and just be. Mm-hmm. And that's part of that conscious leadership piece, to me at least. Mm-hmm. Can we create environments that are conducive to people coming in and being, we love this term, their authentic self. And we move out of the way and allow them to be, mm-hmm. to be brilliant, to be innovative, to be confident, to be alive. But what happens when we're able to see one another, to see that you're going through the same thing I am? And it doesn't matter your station in life or your social location. You're trying to make sense of this reality. You are trying to do the best for your children, just as I am. Mm -hmm. That may come off different ways, whether it's dysfunctional or what. This is what we've been taught. Mm -hmm. But if I can see you and know it's okay to see you, then we can create authentic relationship. It's become a barrier an intentional barrier. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing people who haven't allowed themselves to see others because over 400 years of time, that's what you've been taught. Right. And now I, I was having a conversation last night. Now we're seeing our white sisters and brothers who are like, okay, I, I want to get it. I want to make sure that I'm not doing any, I'm not, I'm not, no more microaggressions from me. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it for real. Mm-hmm. And they want the cliff notes version of how to deal with oppression. And they want it chop, chop. Right. You want your woke certificate. Right. Totally unengaged. If you're really about that, I am trying to dismantle, deconstruct what has torn everything down now. I'm going to do what's necessary to make it right. Mm-hmm. And that's the case, even if we weren't even talking about some of the socio-political issues we're dealing with, that's just a relationship, right? We all go through stuff, all kinds of craziness in loving relationships and in our intimate relationships. Mm-hmm. Right? But what happens when the other person is working to make amends and they're actively trying to make amends versus, okay, you just tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. Right. I mean, come on, that's not going to help because when, when you do something else crazy, I got to keep telling you what to do. It, no, no, you, you figure it out. Yeah. I, I'm not going to keep investing in you. And that is what many in the black community and so many other communities are saying. It's like, I'm tired. I'm yeah. tired of investing in this abusive relationship. And I've heard it. um, I can't remember where I heard 
what we're experiencing being likened to uh, an abusive relationship, right? Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that is commonplace is uh, those who have been abused are used to anticipating what's going on with the abuser. Right. We, they have to be knowledgeable, right? Fully knowledgeable. Okay, so when so-and-so puts their bag down on this side of the couch, that means they had a good day. If they put it over on that side of the couch, oh, dear God, mm -hmm. we have to brace ourselves. Great. And that's what communities have had to deal with, Black, Indigenous, people of color for eons now. Like, okay, so what's the mood? How, 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 are, how are the white folk feeling right now? Right. If they're not feeling good about themselves, then, okay, brace. That's yeah. toxic. Mm -hmm. That is destructive. And that is what we're seeing. Mm. I've heard it described as, as a traumatic relationship. I've read books on post-traumatic slave syndrome and how we're still dealing with that 400 years later as Black people. But how you just laid it out, I'm just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and that expectancy that I talked about and, and trying to figure out the moves and, and, and mm -hmm. the, the ways of being, the mores of the abuser, it is a trauma response. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is a response to trauma and it's constant trauma. It's generational trauma, mm -hmm. as uh, the book you mentioned talks about. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then how do we dismantle that? Uh, how do we have our next generation leaders show up and begin? And we're seeing that. I love this generation. They will question you. They will mm -hmm. cancel you. I think I'm canceled right now. I'm not sure. I, I think I was canceled last week. But it's just really about, they're like, we're not having it. We've seen what it did to our parents yes. and our parents' parents, our aunts, our uncles, the people we love in our community. And if you say anything that's halfway oppressive, even if it sounds like something that rhymes with <laughs> Right. We are about to cancel you and we're going to cancel you quickly. Mm -hmm. And there's part of me that applauds that. And I'm like, yeah, get them. But then there's the other side that says, OK, so in about five minutes, we're all going to be canceled because yeah. we are all in the process of lifelong learning. And yes. as we're engaging with one another and trying to break those trauma bonds, we are going to make mistakes guaranteed yeah. absolutely as sure as we're breathing yeah yeah everybody can't be woke all the time because right. if you're woke all the time that's called insomnia at some time you have to rest yes in order to dream and have yeah. visions and we just celebrated dr martin luther king jr day yesterday mm -hmm. he was able and all the late leaders along with him to rest and dream Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they dreamed of us. They dreamed of moments like this where we can have conducive conversations about what it means to create a new society. Right. They dreamed of this mm -hmm. and they loved each other. I want to go back to that whole idea, the concept of creating spaces where love exists. Because when you talk about Rosa Parks, uh, all these amazing people coming together at the Highlander Resource Center in, is it in Tennessee? Mm -hmm. 
they weren't just strategizing on how to dismantle all of the ugliness that existed, all of the racism. They sat and they rocked in these beautiful rocking chairs and they shared stories and they laughed and they ate well. Mm-hmm. That place, I, I've been there a couple of times and they make some really good food, <laughs> you know, but they nourished themselves and they invested genuinely mm-hmm. in one another. Mm-hmm. And they loved themselves back into the movement so that the movement could keep going. What I'm fearful of and what I'm seeing is all of our amazing young leaders in the Black Lives Matter movement, they are running on fumes. Mm-hmm. And when you're exhausted, even your own body becomes your enemy. Yeah. And so, how do we create these spaces where our leaders? can, that's what we're seeing, rejuvenate, reclaim, resist. Mm. And so that's where a lot of my work comes in. And I create what's called love spaces. I think I sent you all a definition of that. Mm -hmm. But it's those spaces where you can find your personhood. You can see it and others see it and and value and validate. Not saying everybody needs to validate you no but sometimes you just need a quick pulse check am i still here am i still all right <laughs> yes you are here honey and you are amazing yeah but it's all the, the whole love space is created in order for you to go back out there and challenge yeah and redesign and dismantle yeah i know you've talked about and you just like mentioned it of reclamation resistance mm-hmm. and uh, I would definitely love if you could dive more into what that means for you and just what that means and why that work really is speaking to you at this point in time. Ooh. So when we talk about, or when I mentioned in my blog about the reclaiming of our personhood and why it's important as a form of resistance is it goes back to what I was saying earlier around there is a whole narrative that has been created Mm -hmm. in order to sustain others, for them to exist based on our lack of existence. And so everything in us, instead of investing in constantly working to counter that narrative for them, it's about reclaiming our energy, our power, our history, our personhood, our existence. Mm. Well, you work through that and I am going to love my life. Mm-hmm. I'm going to love my skin mm-hmm. because you taught me to hate my skin, mm-hmm. hate my complexion. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to love every iteration of my hairdo. <laughs> I am going to love my laugh. I am going to love every inch of me because I have spent decades upon decades hating myself because you needed it. Right. Yeah. And if we look at it in those terms, I am choosing to love myself back into my humanity Mm. because my humanity was taken from me because you needed it to be taken from me because you needed to exist based on a lie, based on delusion. Yeah. And so that is something that has come to me, I, I've, I'm, I was going to say I've gone through, I 
have finalized my divorce. And divorce is a, a very difficult and ugly thing. And so I know that right now the pandemic is, is pulling a lot of people to make that decision. Mm -hmm. It's also making people think, what was our relationship built on? Was it built on love or was it built on obligation? Was it built on love or was it built on just tolerance? Mm. Was it built on love? Because there's something about love as the foundation of any relationship. And I'm not saying that it's the totality, but it's the foundation. Mm -hmm. It allows me to see you as a human being, even when you are acting at your extreme craziest moments. Yes. Right. I can still see a glimmer of hope in you. But if I can't even see you as human, if I see you as just a source of income or uh, just to stroke my ego or, uh, you know, just to help my family or any of those things. And there's no foundation of love. Then we don't have what we need to sustain mm. because we are dealing with a world that hates us both. Mm -hmm. in some way shape or form and so when I come home when you come home we deserve to be in a place that is going to rejuvenate us versus further tear us down and mm -hmm. I was in a situation where you, you go to work you work on your doctorate and you come home and in all three spaces there are microaggressions and it's like hmm okay so this is disheartening yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it's not just disheartening, but it is destructive. Mm -hmm. And our mental capacity, bless our beautiful brains and our spirit, they are so strong. But even the strongest human being, when you're being broken down from multiple sources, you will have a break. Right. And I had one. And it was just like, okay, so this isn't me. I, I, I'm not a person that has anxiety. What is this? <laughs> you know, um, I'm not a person that is afraid to engage with people. You all know we were on mm. a call that was supposed to last 15 minutes. We were on <laughs> for almost an hour. I mean, <laughs> you know, um, but that's me coming back into myself and not mm -hmm. dealing with the imposter syndrome, which I say is a direct connection to uh, the, the oppression narrative that we've all been given. Mm -hmm. The whole idea of um, everything you've accomplished is a fraud. You are a fraud. It's not real. And that's in order to take advantage of your time and your talent. If I can make you think that everything that you do, especially if you're doing something for me, is absolutely nothing, then how long can I take advantage of you? Mm -hmm. And it, it's a mental game. It is. But when you no longer invest in the game and you say, and I'm going to use vernacular here, it's like, okay, so you say that I am nothing, but I know I'm dope. I am the dopeness. Right. And this is how I know, not just on these accolades, but the fact that I was created in the image. And for me, I, I, I call myself a follower of Jesus. Um, I don't follow too closely because I've been tripping over rocks and stuff, but I do my best. But I was created by the supreme being to be on this earth. I, little ratchet me, I am loved. Mm -hmm. From the moment, even before I was conceived, I was loved. And then when I come out, you tell me you hate me. 
And so I have to make a decision in real time of who am I going to believe? Choose this day who you will serve. Are you going to serve someone who doesn't even know how to love themselves? Mm. Are you going to stop and say, wait a minute, I learned how to like me. I'm not perfect and no one else is. Right. But I, I enjoy who I am and I want to learn more about what I like in this station in my life. Because I want to make sure that I show my next generation, my daughter, what freedom looks like from her little brown mama Mm -hmm. versus her seeing and hearing all these things. And she's, she's, oh, she's an astute cookie. She is. Her and her little Black Lives Matter. And she's having these conversations. I think I've mentioned it where she's schooling 12 year olds that the lives of real human beings are more important than your parents' taxes and her little head and little finger. (laughs) <laughs> I love it. You know, <laughs> and just trying to help them understand. And she is biracial. And she's saying, okay, well, if you're saying that Black lives don't matter, you're saying half of me doesn't exist. What? Okay. So I, there must be something going on. And her father, to his credit, um, he is involved in so much. And he has these conversations with her, too. And that's the other thing about, I want to go back to the whole divorce thing, about what it means to be a couple who have a common goal. Mm-hmm. That even if you weren't founded on, or, or the love was not strong enough to sustain the two of you, there has to be enough love to help sustain that next generation that comes from you. Mm-hmm. So trying to figure out how to co-parent, how to co-love, how to co-create is something that is new. Mm. And we're not just seeing it in divorced relationships. We're seeing that in relationships. How do we redefine what we have in order to create something brand new that's actually healthy? Mm. With the caveat of we're still two people who are working through our toxicity. And that goes to what we're dealing with society as well. How do communities come together? to have these conversations of we desperately want to create something new. Mm -hmm. We're sick of white supremacist delusion. We're sick of oppression. We're sick of the ableism. We're sick of the, all the, all of it. How do we create something new? Understanding that all those toxins, all of that rhetoric, all of that hate still lives in us. Mm -hmm. How do we do it? And we have to. So it's the two. It's not only how do we do it, and we must Mm -hmm. move the work forward. Thanks for listening into part one of this amazing conversation we had with Dr. Keisha Brown. We loved speaking with her, and we want to present as much of this enriching dialogue to our listeners as possible. So look out for part two of this interview next week. To join the conversation and be a part of the community, follow us at USDCLA on Instagram and Twitter, or email us at theadjacentself at sandiego.edu. We can't wait to hear from you.